Micah chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. And just a reminder that this is the word of God. Woe to those who dream up wickedness and prepare evil plans on their beds. At morning light they accomplish it because the power is in their hands. They covet fields and seize them. They also take houses. They deprive a man of his home, a person of his inheritance. Therefore the Lord says, I am now planning a disaster against this nation. You cannot free your necks from it. Then you will not walk so proudly because it will be an evil time. In that day one will take up a taunt against you and lament mournfully saying, We are totally ruined. He measures out the allotted land of my people, how he removes it from me. He allots our fields to traitors. Therefore, there will be no one in the assembly of the Lord to divide the the land by casting lots. Our next reading tonight is from 1 Peter, chapter 1, verses 1 to 21, and that's on page 1112. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the temporary residents dispersed in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, and set apart by the Spirit for obedience and for the sprinkling with the blood of Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and into an inheritance that is imperishable, uncorrupted, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. You are being protected by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. You rejoice in this, though now for a short time you have had to struggle in various trials so that the genuineness of your faith, more valuable than gold, which perishes though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honour at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You love him, though you have not seen him. And though not seeing him now, you believe in him and rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation... The prophets who prophesied about the grace that would come to you searched and carefully investigated. They inquired into what time or what circumstances the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating when he testified in advance to the messianic sufferings and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you. These things have now been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Angels desire to look into these things. Therefore, with your minds ready for action, be serious and set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance. But as the one who called you is holy... 
you also are to be holy in all your conduct. For it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. And if you address as Father the one who judges impartially based on each one's work, you are to conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your temporary residence. For you know that you were redeemed from your empty way of life, inherited from the fathers, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without defect or blemish. He was chosen before the foundation of the world, but was revealed at the end of the times for you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. This is the word of the Lord. Ms. Gemma, you could have gone all night if you wanted to, carried on reading it. It would have been a good thing. Um, we're actually only reading um, verse, we're looking at verse 13 to 21, but I wanted to have the whole of uh, the beginning of chapter 1 read because if you notice in, at the beginning of verse 13, we have a therefore, which refers back to the, the first bit of the chapter. Why don't I pray for us before we get stuck into this? Our Father, what a privilege it is to swim in your word to plunge the depths of your glorious riches in your word. Father, we do pray that uh, we might discover treasure there tonight, that you might speak to us, that you might change us, and you might set our hopes on the hope you've given to us in Christ for your glory. Amen. Well, we are week two in our new sermon series, looking at the letter of 1 Peter, and we're calling our sermon series different. We've got a fancy graphic and we're calling it different because 1 Peter is all about how Christians are different to the world and how Christians are to be different in the world. Uh, One preacher said that uh, the letter of 1 Peter is in the Bible so that Christians would stick out like healthy thumbs in a world full of sore thumbs. It's good, good to remember that. And in today's passage, 13 to 21, did you notice we have just one command? We've got one command, really just one point in our sermon this evening, and it is there in verse 15. But as the one who called you is holy, you also are to be holy in all your conduct. Now that's what I call one of those kryptonite commands, isn't it? Remember Superman and kryptonite, how Superman was allergic to kryptonite? You read this command, and you read other commands like it. You read this command and go, no, don't read that flick over the page to something like love or something that I can do. Because this is difficult, isn't it? It's difficult and it is hard. I know there are people here uh, who will uh, read the command, be holy, and go, tick, what's next, God? Uh, you are freaks, okay? For us mere mortals, this is difficult. It's difficult because we think of the wrong thing, don't we? We think of, we uh, hear the word holy, and we think religious, and we think cheesy, and we think religious, cheesy Christian, and we think boring. I remember before I became a Christian, one of the things that put me off Christianity was Christians. They were cheesy and they were boring. They were holy. 
And also, the, the thing that uh, makes it difficult is the, is, is, is the low bar that Peter sets. Did you notice how low the bar is? Have a look with me at verse 16. He says, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. It's not low at all, is it? Uh, to be holy is to be like God. And if you want to know what it uh, means to live like God in the world, you just open up the Gospels and look at Jesus. Peter is saying, be like Jesus. Live like Jesus. And now he's not saying, try and be holy. Try your best to be holy. He's not saying, turn up to church and put your holy outfit on and put your holy mask on and say holy things in open encouragement and pretend uh, that you are holy in front of all your Christian friends. He is saying, be holy because I am holy. Be like Jesus. It's like going and joining a running club and the coach saying, be like Usain Bolt. It's not easy, is it? It's really difficult. Now, that is not to mention how difficult it is to actually live a holy life in the world in which we live. Uh, we live in a world that is ruled by the individual. Uh, the world says, if it feels good, do it. And if it don't hurt anyone, then don't worry about it. Just get on with it. Now, the danger, Paul probably said this last week, the danger for the Christians uh, that Peter is writing to is... Uh, persecution. And the persecution that we find in 1 Peter is not the kind of YouTube persecution where you see Christians getting their heads chopped off. It's not that physical persecution. That comes later in the early church. The, the persecution that these Christians were facing uh, was social persecution, social pressure and social persecution. So 1 Peter says that uh, these Christians were being slandered, uh, that there was malicious talk going on around, about them, that they were facing false accusations. Apparently, the, uh, the early Christians, uh, there were rumors going around about the early Christians, and people were saying that they were cannibals because they ate the body and blood of Jesus, and that they were incestuous because they married their brothers and their sisters. There was malicious talk and false accusations going on. And the danger for these Christians that Paul, Peter is writing to is that they would blend in with the world around them. That they would stop being different, that they wouldn't be holy, which holy means different, that they would stop being, that they would not be different and blend in and adopt, adopt the lifestyle that everyone else has, to adopt the hopes that everyone else has and adopt the priorities that everyone else has. And that is helpful for us to hear, isn't it? Because we instinctively want to do what everyone else does. I watched a, a YouTube video recently of uh, this group of pranksters who were walking down the street and they surrounded some gr a group of innocent bystanders and all of a sudden they just hit the deck. They fell to the floor and these innocent bystanders just fell to the floor. They copied, what e instinctively copied what everyone else was doing around them. And we are like that, aren't we? We instinctively do what the crowd does. We follow the crowd and blend in. Well, we read this command and we see that holiness is important. It's important to God. In fact, it's God's ambition for us. If you're a Christian here tonight, 
God's ambition for you when you grow up is that you will be holy. We all said that. When I grow up, I want to be a fireman. When you grow up, God wants you to be holy. And if this is his ambition for every single Christian, then it doesn't matter whether you work at Macca's or Macquarie Bank. It doesn't matter uh, whether, whether you live in Mossman or whether you live in Bidwell. God's ambition for your life, his calling for your life, is to be holy. Now that's a difficult thing, isn't it? That is a difficult thing, the kryptonite command. And you may be aware that that is a difficult thing. You may be conscious that you call yourself Christian and you know that your life is blended in with everyone else's. There is no, nothing distinctive about you. Maybe you're struggling and you're facing suffering. Maybe some of the persecution that these original uh, readers were facing and you're thinking, I need to keep my head down. Living a holy life is the last thing on my agenda. Perhaps you've just had it bad for a while and you're doing all you can do just to cling to Jesus uh, personally and privately, let alone publicly and openly. Well, if that's you, don't worry because Peter's writing to normal Christians, not the freak Christians, to the normal Christians who are facing struggles. And there is great hope and a few little tips for how we can live a holy life in this passage. But before we get stuck into those tips, I just want to put out there a health warning for anyone here who is not a Christian. If you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, the health warning is this. Don't try this at home. Uh, this is written to Christians who have, uh, who have been forgiven by Christ, who have the spirit of Christ living in them. And we do not do this on their own. If you try this and you're not a Christian, you will fail. What I'd love you to see, though, is the hope that Christians have and the life that Christians are called to live. And it is an amazing privilege to live that life. That's what I'd love you to hear. Well, I've got three, just three little tips. Hopefully there are some encouragement this evening. Three little tips. The first uh, tip that we get from Peter is that we are to set our hope. We're to set our hope. That's verse 13. Have a look with me at verse 13 if you close your Bibles. 1 Peter 1, chapter, verse 13. Therefore, with your minds ready for action, be serious and set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Uh, that uh, phrase, uh, with your minds ready for action, literally, your little footnote will tell you this, literally uh, says, gird the loins of your minds. And there's a reason why they didn't put it in our translation, isn't there? Because what on earth is gird the loins of your minds? Um, in ancient times, if you wanted to run and you were wearing a toga, apparently that was the fashion of the day, you were wearing this toga thing, and you wanted to, say, run for the bus, you needed to gird your loins, which meant hoiking up your toga so that yeah, your toga didn't get caught in your sandals and you could run. Uh, well, here, you get it? Yeah, you lift, your you lift your toga up, run, don't fall over. Um, uh, Peter says here, we need to gird the loins of our minds. Uh, we need to actively, proactively set our minds on the hope that has been given to us in Jesus. And we learned about that hope last week. We learned that the hope that the Christian has in Jesus is the hope of the new creation. 
of spending eternity in a new creation where there will be no mourning or crying or pain or suffering. A place where all the things, uh, the hurt that we see and feel in our lives will be no more. It is described as a living hope. It is described as an inheritance. And do you remember the, do you remember the thing about the inheritance? Is that it is being kept for us. It will never perish, spoil, it will never perish, spoil or fade. It is being kept for us. And it will be delivered on the last day when Jesus comes down from heaven and transforms this, the creation that we see now. It will be delivered to us personally. What's more, we learned that not only is our inheritance being kept for us, but we are being kept for it. That if we are in Christ, nothing can touch us. None of this slander, this social pressure, none of this stuff can touch us. Not even your atheist boss can take, your in, take you away from your inheritance. We are being kept for us as it is being kept for us. We are being kept for it as it is being kept for us. That is what we are to gird the loins of our minds for, set our hope fully on the hope that will be given to us in Christ Jesus. The other thing we need to get under the bonnet for, and the commentators will tell you this, that this uh, phrase, be serious, you'll read it in the NIV, the the phrase, be serious, literally says, uh, be sober-minded. So set set your minds, uh, gird the loins of your minds uh, uh, sober-mindedly. And that is, uh, he's not talking about alcohol, by the way. He's, uh, some of us might need to hear that warning. Uh, but um, he is talking about being sober-minded in our hope. And that is important, isn't it? Because I wonder whether some of us here, whether some of us have been drunk on the wrong hope, on the hope of the world. Uh, the world is like uh, the ultimate cocktail bar with all the top-shelf bottles of hope for us to drink on. And I wonder whether you have been drunk on the hope of the world. I want to ask you what your favorite tipple is. Uh, What's the hope that you go in for? I'm going to, as we're amongst friends, I'm going to reveal my uh, little hope that I always go back to. My uh, hope that often throws me off guard is the hope of owning my own house. Uh, Now, I say that uh, we probably won't ever own our own house. We've made some decisions which mean that we probably won't own our own house. Now, I say that not so that you can get your violins out and go, oh, poor old Andy. Um, I say that so that you can see and identify with the thought process that goes on. See, the hope of owning my own house offers comfort and offers security and offers a life for my family. That's the hope that it offers. Well, what's your favorite tipple. Maybe it might be the body image, or it might be the career, or it might be uh, the security that owning your house brings, or the kudos that living, it, living in the next posh's suburb brings. What is the hope that you've been drinking? What is the hope that you've been drunk on? You see, the crazy thing is, is that uh, this hope is, is not living hope. Those false hopes of the world are not living hopes. They are dead hopes. See, the, the hope of the house or the career, that will be nowhere in 30,000 years' time when you are enjoying the new creation with your Savior. It is just bricks and mortar. It is a perishable hope. 
1 Peter says. It will mean nothing to chase after a career. It will mean nothing to chase after the relationship that we've always wanted. It will mean nothing to chase after the home or the comfort or the security in 30,000 years' time when we are in the new creation with Jesus, enjoying our Savior forever. Peter wants us to set our hope. Well, secondly, uh, the second little tip I want us to get from this uh, to motivate us for living like Jesus and loving like Jesus is that we need to fear our Father, fear our Father. Did you see that? Verse 17, have a look with me. And if you address as Father, the one who judges impartially, Based on one's work, you are to conduct yourself in fear during the time of your temporary residence. I love that he calls it temporary residence. He's talking about the 70, 80, 90 years that we will spend on this planet. He says temporary residence. The NIV says little while. It's brilliant, isn't it? Uh, But there is also this dual image that goes on here. So there is the intimacy of, of addressing God as our Father, speaking to the one who made this world, who made the universe and the stars, addressing him as dad. It's incredibly intimate, isn't it? But Peter also wants us to know that the one we call dad is also the judge. He judges impartially based on each one's work. Uh, He wants us to know that uh, that he is judge as well as our dad. Uh, Let me uh, try and illustrate this. Um, because this is, a, let me try and illustrate this, it's the appropriate way to address our, our, our Father and to think of God. Um, it's, it's like, um, let's say my kids come home from school. Now, normally they will uh, jab me in the ribs, they will tickle me, they go, all right, Dad, and uh, they will try and rob me of those orange Woolworths cards. Um, they'll do that tonight if they're up. Um, that, uh, that is appropriate, isn't it? That they call me dad and they have that intimate relationship with me. But if they were to come home from school on a Friday with spray cans and graffiti the walls of their bedrooms and call me Andy and tell me when they are going to bed, that would be all wrong. Well, Peter wants us not to have that inappropriate relationship with our Heavenly Father. Uh, One preacher says that uh, we Australians have uh, too much of the almighty and not enough of the almighty. That's true, isn't it? Uh, We hate authority as Aussies. We call everyone mate, even our boss. Uh, We call our prime minister by his first name. We hate authority. Well, Peter says you can be like that with your politicians, but you cannot be like that with God. He wants us to know that God is our intimate dad, but also that he is the judge. I wonder how that would change the way that we live our lives day in, day out. If we had at the forefront of our minds, God as judge, who sees everything and sees everyone. How would that change uh, what you look at when you flick on the computer to look at the internet? How would that change the way that you approach going into the office? How would that change the way uh, you address the temptations to blend in and go with the crowd when you go out for dinner with the girls or whatever? I reckon that would change us a great deal if we had God as our judge in the forefront of our minds. We're not to fear him uh, like we fear a bully, 
Uh, we've been told at the first half of 1 Peter that nothing can kick us out of the club. We are saved. He is our dad. But we are to have the right reverence for God, and that should change us. A friend of mine once asked me uh, to, um, he was having issues looking at dodgy stuff on the internet, and he, gave me, he asked me to log into his computer remotely whenever I wanted uh, when, uh, when he'd least expect it, so that he would have this accountability uh, for what he looked at on the internet, that he would be scared that I might look at what he was looking at and expose him. Well, what if we had that same kind of right fear when we go into, into our daily lives? Uh, it, will present us with, it will present us with decisions day in, day out. Will we fear God more than we fear the peer group pressure? Will we fear God more than we fear what our friends think of us. I've been reading this uh, letter of 1 Peter with a couple of mates at church, and one guy told me of uh, the day when they had um, a pride lunch. So when Mardi Gras is on, they have a pride lunch, and they promote the um, same-sex marriage agenda and all this kind of thing. And there is real pressure to go to that lunch. It doesn't do anyone any harm to go to that lunch, but my friend said uh, that there was... that in the real pressure to go to this lunch, he said that he had to make the decision to fear God more than he feared what his colleagues and his superiors would think of him eating his sandwich at his desk and not going to that lunch and saying, I agree with everything that you're saying here. So as uh, the call to be holy calls on us, the choice is, will we fear God more than we fear the pressure that comes with it? Now, if uh, Peter was to leave it there, that would be a pretty depressing state, wouldn't it? Uh, We'd be left with the ogre in the sky who will zap you when you do something wrong. Uh, That is not the hope that Peter wants to leave us with. That is not the gospel. So for our next little tip, I'd love us to see uh, that we are to... I'd love us to see uh, what Peter thinks is the key to holy, distinct living. And the key that uh, he thinks... the, the, The thing that he thinks is the key to living holy lives, is for us to see how good God has been to us. So our next little tip is that we are to value our Saviour. We are to value our Saviour. Have a look with me at verse 18. Uh, He says, For you know that you were redeemed from your empty way of life, inherited from the fathers, not with perishable things like silver or gold. Those things are pretty imperishable, aren't they? But with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb, without defect or blemish. Uh, The imagery that Peter is drawing upon here is that of the Exodus. And if you've read your Bible or you've watched the Prince of Egypt, you'll know that the uh, God's people, the Israelites, were rescued from slavery in Egypt by the blood of a lamb. Uh, God passed over every firstborn, um, every house in Egypt and slaughtered every firstborn son in a last-ditch attempt to get Pharaoh to let his people go. Uh, Every firstborn was slaughtered except for those where the blood of the slaughtered lamb uh, was painted on the doorpost, a sacrificial substitute in place for the firstborn. Well, just as, God's, uh, God, just as God rescued his people from Egypt by the blood of a lamb, so Peter is saying here that God has rescued the Christian uh, by the blood of his son, the lamb without defect or blemish. And Peter is saying 
that we should value that blood immensely. The Israelites valued uh, the blood of their lamb immensely. They had a firstborn son thanks to that, uh, thanks to that, thanks to that lamb. And we have a life thanks, we have a life thanks to the blood of the lamb. And that is incredibly precious. And we should value Jesus. Now he's saying this not so that we would live life thinking that we owe God. But he says this and, uh, so that we would know who we can trust. Not so that we will think that we're, uh, we, we owe one like we'd owe a mate a favor, but so that we would know who we trust. You see, the, uh, the, 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 God's people have always struggled uh, to, to see that the grass is not greener on the other side. And all too often, uh, we struggle to see that the grass is not greener in the non-Christian life and in the hopes that people who are not Christians have. Uh, but Peter says that those things we hope for of the world, the false hopes that we get drunk on and drink, uh, <coughs> the false hopes that we get drunk on and drink, they have not paid n- anything for your freedom. They have not given their lives. Uh, they offer. They may offer silver or gold. They may offer promise much and offer great things. But those ho- false hopes that we put our hope in, that we spend, invest our time in, they gave you nothing. They will only take and they will only deliver death and they will only deliver suffering. So Peter says, value the blood of Christ. Make it the most important thing in your life. Allow it to shape the way you do the day-to-day. Allow it to shape your relationships. Allow it to uh, see your life as the life that God intended for you. Anyone remember why the Israelites needed to be rescued from Egypt? Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, let my people go so that, anyone remember? So that they may worship me so that they may serve me. See, Jesus has rescued us, not for this cheesy, boring Christian life. He's rescued us from his judgment, from death, from slavery to sin, so that we can live the life that God intended for us, a life of worship in service of the Lord. And that is an amazing way to live. He hasn't rescued us for a cheesy life or a boring life, or a life of suffering. He's rescued us for a joyful life. It will bring suffering, it will bring hardships being different, but it is a life that will end in eternity. And we are to uh, value the precious blood of Jesus. Uh, John Piper said that you reveal the value you put on Christ by what you are willing to risk or give up. Friends, I want to leave you by asking you, are you willing to give up drinking the false hope of this world? Are you willing to risk everything for the God who has given you everything? He has given us the life he intended us to live. He's given us a living hope of the new creation that is being kept for us as we are being kept for it. And he has called us to be different, to endure hard times, to persevere with Christ, so that we might be, uh, so that we might live lives to the praise of his glory. And that is a great way to live. Let's pray. Our Father, we do, uh, you do know how difficult it is for us to read this command to be holy. 
But we praise you that we do not do it on our own. We praise you that you have given us uh, this living hope that we can fix our eyes on, that you have given us uh, your spirit to live in us, to change us from the inside out, so that we might get up uh, every morning a little bit more like Jesus. Father, we pray that we would lean on your mercy, that we would value Christ's blood, and would we live different lives, the lives that you, uh, what you intended for us to live in worship and in service of you. For your praise and glory we pray. Amen.